Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to First Strike here on Visa. I'm your host, Dave Ross. For the next hour, we're going to break down UFC Paris. Yes, as we stay overseas this week again in the UFC. Going to break that down with Lou Finnecaro in just a second. Of course, Jordan Sherwood's going to join us, and we're going to have Reed Kuhn and Dan Vreeland as well. But also, want to look back at what we just saw at UFC Singapore. An amazing, an amazing finish there uh, to that fight card. Certainly Max Holloway, a third-round stoppage of the Korean Zombie, and we saw all the emotion. Emotion from Max with what's happened in Hawaii and also all the emotion for the Korean zombie who officially called it a career right there in the octagon Saturday, Saturday in uh, UFC Singapore and then being serenaded by the Cranberries version of zombie as he says goodbye to the UFC, a very emotional uh, final fight that we saw from there from the Korean zombie and Max Holloway. But without further ado, let's get to Gamble. You can follow him on Twitter at that same handle as I do. He is the host of the Bout Business Podcast. Always great to catch up with Lou Finnecaro here on First Strike. So, Lou, very quickly, uh, before we look ahead to UFC Paris, we're getting that international fight flavor certainly in the UFC right now. I mentioned it there with Max Holloway with the big impressive victory as the Korean zombie says goodbye to the UFC. For Max's point... He says he wants to go on and get a fourth shot, maybe against Alexander Volkanovsky. Do you see that for Max in the future? And what type of number would you theorize we might see if that fourth fight happened? Dave, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. I love coming on, sharing thoughts about the fights. But it, I honestly do my best to wait until they announce mm-hmm. it. Then I'll handicap it, and I'm a terrible line <laughs> set, setter. So I'm going to avoid that. But I, I'll say this. Uh, Volkanovsky is going to have to address Max. Max keeps winning, and he and he's he stays there. Uh, maybe the UFC steps in and is the bad guy in this to prevent it from happening. Because I don't know how marketable it is, and the UFC's after marketing. Yeah, absolutely right. So again, you're right. I mean, Max has beaten everybody not named Alexander Volkanovsky in the division. So we'll find out what's next for Max. Okay, let's see what's next for UFC Paris. The main event, Cyril Gagne, going to try to hold serve at home in Paris. Of course, the Frenchman right now is a solid favorite. It's come down a little bit, though, here in the last couple of weeks against Sergei Spivak here. We know what Spivak wants to do. He wants to wrestle. He'd love to get this fight down to the ground. I don't think that's where Cyril Gagne wants it. That home court advantage, if you will, Lou, right now you see Cyril Gagne at minus sixty-six. What do you make of this main event? I make it as an intriguing matchup, and I take note that it opened 215, and it's come down a little bit in favor of Spivak. I mean, there's really a couple of camps of thought. Number one is you have a a deft, fluid-moving, athletic heavyweight that moves like a middleweight, only strikes like a heavyweight in God. However, in his last fight against Jones, he proved that he couldn't stop a sneeze, let alone a takedown. And <laughs> Spivak, what we have is a guy as slow as a glacier, and his punches are telegraphed. He's not really anything but awkward on the feet, but he's not there to get in a distance fight with Gan. He's going to grope him, try and press him against the cage, and take this thing down to the ground. He just saw the blueprint to Gan's kryptonite or his weakness, and he's going to follow that. Uh, I've been searching for totals on this fight. I found one in a faraway place, two and a half under 160. 
it tells me that by that total that we're going to get a gun knockout because uh, the polar bear can't get him in his reach, or the polar bear is going to go out there like an NFL middle linebacker, take gun down and submit him. Uh, but that's what I'm reading by that line. If it substantiates. And if that is, in fact, the total on the fight. You nailed it. We get this as we record First Strike each and every week here on a Tuesday. And there it is, under two and a half right now. Uh, Juiced heavily, minus an hour 62 to that under here, right in the middle mark of a potential five-round main event fight. So the, the, the pathways for victory there, as you mentioned, gone by KO, TKRDQ. It is plus money, plus $1.25 if that's the pathway there. It's interesting because the Spivak side here, if you like the underdog, it's almost even. Plus 450 for KO, TKRDQ, but sub is 4-1 to one as well. So it shows you if he's able to secure a takedown, maybe he could go the ground and pound route, which you've, we've seen him do in a couple of his, his victories as well. Would you, sh if you're on the, if if you're on the underdog side, would you shy away from method of victory because there are two possible outcomes? But if you like the gone side, maybe look to that KO prop at plus a dollar twenty-five. No, I would just keep it safe, Dave. And on DraftKings, you can find a fight to end via finish, and that's the way I'd go to Spivak, and you'd probably just get plus two seventy-five or three twenty-five or something like that. I like playing it that way anyway when. There is such a uh, split in uh, each side, finish or submission. Yeah, two to one, to your point, Lou, right now, if you two like the dog, right? Which is interesting because, again, you're almost getting plus fifty here in the marketplace if you like the dog side, but you can get a little bit more if you like him by finish, i.e., they don't think the bookmakers that a pathway to victory there is by decision in a potential five-round fight. Uh, for the underdog. Let's get to the co-main event because, Lou, I'm fascinated by this. You got a two-time former strawweight champion of the world in Rose Namajunas making her debut now at 125 against Manon Fierro. And Fierro here is looking as a rather large favorite. We're seeing it at minus $1.85 right now. The comeback on Thug Rose is plus $1.54. We know who the bigger woman is going to be in that octagon. It is only potentially three rounds here in this flyweight debut for Rose. What do you make of Rose going up 10 pounds? I make her going against a woman that's violent, ferocious, much larger than her, has well more power than her, but doesn't have the experience. And really, if we want to take Thug Rose at her best and create a foe for her, it's fewer because Rose is a mixed martial artist and she'll use all the aggression that the French lady is going to emit against her. Now, are we going to get Thug Rose at her best mentally and physically? That's the question in this fight for me. She's the one going up in weight against a huge woman coming down, cutting to make 25. Rose is going up. So it's really, uh, there's a lot that I have to figure this week by watching fighter interviews and weigh-ins about the what I perceive to be the mental condition of Rose because it affects me so much in how I handicap the fight. But at the end of the day, I think this is a very tough, a tall task for uh, Thug Rose. At first blush, I would say, wow, you're giving me plus an hour 54 on Rose. I've got to like that with a quality of opponent that you alluded to. But you just nailed it for me too, Lou, which is you, with Rose Namajunas, you really have to do it where her mental state is. And it's absolutely we know when she's right she's one of the best fighters in the world we'll see that translate to 125 normally you go well that's who she wants she wants a striker right normally you worry about grapplers jessica andrage uh you know obviously with with the dumping her on her head there, getting that knockout finish and we saw the carlos sparza fight not exactly aesthetically pleasing to the eye uh the last time out at 115 can thug rose stand on the feet with a bigger woman and bang out a victory because that seems to be the type of fight we're going to get Oh, I think she was prepared to do that with Wiley, but she kicked her in the head and knocked her out. And I think she's absolutely capable of playing Matrix and making Fior miss all night. I, I mean, is there a total on this fight as well? Is We've it, got two and it, a half right now, juiced heavily to the over. You got to lay two to one if you think it's going to get over two and a half rounds. If you like the fight to go the distance, it's minus eighty. So not expecting a finish here, according to the bookmakers. Yeah, and to me, uh, the, that's very indicative of style of fight. And the fight to, if I know this fight's going to decision, I have to consider Rose 
more seriously. Yeah, plus 250 right now, Rose via decision. I'm picking up what you're putting down there. A very intriguing fighter in uh, Benoit Saint-Denis. He's going to go up against uh, Tiago Moises here, and a small favorite here for Saint-Denis, cashed uh, as a dog, but now he's in the favorites role at minus $1.55 against Moises at, at plus $1.30. What do you make of this one? Could be a really interesting light, lightweight bout here. Oh, I think it's going to be just TNT. I mean, <laughs> you've got a guy in Moises that uh, is flashy, can strike, probably should watch himself in this one striking. I think on the ground, though, both of these guys are, well, Thiago's a black belt and St. Denis a brown belt, but they can both roll. I think it would be in Moises' best interest to keep this close and try and roll Meanwhile, this kid, St. Denis, he's equipped with world-class judo. His mm -hmm. dad was a judo teacher, and he's a former French Navy SEAL. So uh, he's huge for the division. He's violent with hands. He can roll capably enough to get back up should Moises take him down. And mentally, he can't break. Boy, that's a dangerous fighter, and I sure like him a lot, uh, I jumped on him Sunday at minus 125. I couldn't believe the price was that low. We're seeing minus 150 or minus 155 now, and I think it will be higher by the end of the week. So if you like the Frenchman, I think the time to jump would be now. Uh, let's talk about a guy in Volkan Utsdemir in no time. Uh, it seemed like a long time ago that he was looking for the light heavyweight championship of the world. Now against Bogdan Guskov here, he is a big favorite. Minus $1.85 today. What do you make of Volkan this iteration of him now in 2023? You know, I'm worried about him in this spot. I don't know what kind of striker this Guskov is. I know coming from Tajikistan or Kazakhstan, one of the Russian areas mm -hmm. there, please excuse my lack of, of definition, that he's going to be a great grappler. But how about his hands? I, I'd like to think that uh, he's got power. And if he does, he can do some harm to Ozdemir that's too willing to receive in order to get to take out. Yeah, I, I think it feels a little heavy right now on that Ozdemir side here at minus $1.85. Got about 30 seconds very quickly. What do they get when they check out the Bout Business podcast each and every week? You're going to get uh, clairvoyant, interesting ways to derive profit from UFC fights. It's a pleasure to come on and share insight with the First Strike crew every week. Listen to the other guys. They're all good. And Dave, thanks for serving us up so well each week. I love it. Clairvoyant is a, right, a very good way to describe yourself. We'll appreciate you as always. When we come back, much more to get to. Going to Chicago, Jordan Sherwood next here on First Strike. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflategate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Poppy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. 
Winner, winner, chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you plenty of ways to bet the UFC. Just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. You're going to be able to bet on more than just the main event. DraftKings has great odds on fight lines, total rounds, and features for all MMA events. Eligibility restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for all the terms and conditions. Back here on First Strike, Dave Ross in Las Vegas. Let's go back out to the second city known as Chicago, Jordan Sherwood. You can follow him on Twitter as I do, or X as they call it. Wood on ESPN 1000. It is officially that time. To bear down, hence the pullover that you have there. Before we get to UFC Paris, you've been in California. You're back in Chicago. Are, are, is your body acclimated from the the hundreds degree temperatures back to the uh, what you're going to get in Chicago? Well, it was it was actually a hundred degree temperature here in Chicago uh, <laughs> the last couple of days. So uh, yeah, heat wave. Look, I'm entitled to take a little vacay before yeah. the kids go back to school. So. We did. We took advantage. Did Universal, In and Out Burger, the beach. Oh, uh, took advantage as much as we could, and now it's it's back to the grind. Talking to people like you. Well, it's great to have you back on First Strike. Mom always asks, "Where's Jordan?" She, he's back, Mom. Okay, back. so <laughs> let's get to it. We're going over to Paris for UFC Paris, and look, we understand how these international cards go, right? You're gonna have a lot of Frenchmen and women on these cards. It's gonna be the local flavor. First of all, before you get into some of these cards and breakdowns. Does that affect fights that you think might hit the cards? We've seen it play out before that sometimes judges do get affected by, quote unquote, the home crowd, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, it has to. You, you, when you get a, a fight like, let's just say, for example, Benoit Saint-Denis mm-hmm. and Tiago Moises, you know, obviously the home crowd is going to be backing Saint-Denis. Uh, I don't expect that type of fight to go to the judges' scorecards. I think we got finishers in both ends. There's solutions in both ends for it not to make it to the judges. But St. Denis is a striker. St. Denis is a powerful puncher. And if he's landing and Tiago Moises is, is trying to look for the grappling game and, and it goes to the judges' scorecards, by all accounts, yes, the judges could be weighed by fan reaction. We've seen it time and time again, especially in Brazil, uh, where we've seen some odd decisions, you know, obviously the countless years that they've been there. So I am absolutely believing that that would, would be a factor. Uh, although, obviously, there's a lot of study that has to play. We, we have a lot of new fighters that are on the card. Mm-hmm. Um, and of the the four, uh, of the French fighters, at least initially, um, you know, hey, hate to tease it, but whatever, outside of the co-main event, I, I don't see a lot of these fights going to the judges' scorecards. Well, this one here with Saint-Denis against Moises, as you mentioned, the under right now, juiced a little bit here, minus style 35 uh, to two and a half rounds to that under uh, St. Denis has gone up a little bit as a favorite now up to as high as a dollar 55. We're seeing out there in the marketplace and to that end, you know, Moises is probably thinking the way we are too. I don't want it to go to the judges scorecards. Is that another reason to think that the unders could be fashionable here in Paris? Well, look, well, first off, St. Denis is a finisher. He's got 11 wins and all of them have come inside the distance. So, you know, he's a guy that's that, and is surging, you know, after he had the loss to Alessio Dos Santos, you know, he's had three fights in a row, uh, all finishes. He's looked extremely impressive. Uh, he was great the last time that we saw him on the, the Paris card against Gabriel Miranda. Uh, obviously, also, you know, Tego Moises will, will struggle with a striker of his caliber, but on the other flip of the coin there, and that's why I believe in the under, like this is the absolute best grappler that, that St. Denis has faced, especially in the UFC, probably in his mixed martial arts career. And Moises does not waste any time. He he can find submissions in all ways and shapes and sizes and uh, well-versed on the ground. So, yeah, I, I think probably Moises is having that in the back of his mind that he can't let this go to the judges' scorecards. He has to go out there, hunt for a finish, hunt for a takedown, see what St. Denis can do on the ground, which is why I think I like the under as a play at under two and a half. Both guys' finishers, one has a solution on the ground, the other one on the feet. Yeah, Moises right now, plus 450 via sub if this fight did hit the ground. Uh, Benoit St. Denis right now, plus 250 KO or TKO or DQ. Let's get to the main event with Cyril Gaon. And again, I'm sure Cyril Gaon does not want to keep hearing about the John Jones fight, right? It did not go his way uh, first round against uh, arguably the greatest MMA practitioner we've ever seen. We have to assume 
Jordan Sherwood. He's been working on takedown defense against a guy like Sergei Spivak. If that's the case, what are the pathways that you see for Gon? Because the fight stays standing. It feels like he's got a clear advantage with the striking. Yeah, he certainly does. I mean, obviously, we, we, we noted leading into the John Jones fight and prior to that, the fluidity, the quickness, the guy moves like a light heavyweight for a heavyweight. Uh, we saw him impressively do that, avoid the damage against Tai Tuivasa the last time that they were in Paris, and he got that finish. Uh, he looked impressive against Derek Lewis. He went five rounds with Alexander Volkov. So absolutely, that's where he wants to keep it. He wants to keep distance, and he wants to punish, because he'll be the quicker fighter for sure, uh, you know, against Sergei Spivak. And, and quite honestly, you know, Sergei Spivak, he's not necessarily like the, the wrestler's wrestler. Like, he looks for the clinch game and then looks for the takedowns. We saw that evident in his last fight, his last win over Derek Lewis. He got the Black Beast up against the cage several times and just continued to ragdoll him. I, a, I don't think that he could do that against Sergan because of the quickness. And, and B, I think Sergan's a little bit you know, too strong for that to happen. Albeit, I understand you just pointed it out. It was a knife through butter, you know, uh, <laughs> with John Jones and Sergan. But I, I think, you know, Gan just, you know, his fluidity, his quickness, his, his Muay Thai background. And quite honestly, if it does go to the ground, I, I've got confidence in, in him off of his back to not fall into the Sergey Spivak trap. So that's why I think, it is absolutely, you know, get in on that money line right now at Cyril Gon because I think he's got a multitude of ways to win this fight. Um, but in all likelihood, he gets a later finish against Survey Spivak. Yeah, and we're seeing the number come down now, minus dollar 66 on Gon here. I, I wonder if this number then goes back up before we actually get to Saturday in, in Paris because it is interesting to see, like, it feels like a lot of Spivak money has come in. I wonder if that number will fluctuate back the other way before we get there uh, to fight night in Paris. I do want to get to the co-main event. I'm fascinated who isn't by Rose Namajunas uh, going up in weight now, the former strawweight champion, two-time strawweight champion in 115, now making her debut in the flyweight division. Manon Firo, we, we've seen her. She's looked really impressive so far uh, in her UFC short stay here. She is the older fighter, though, Firo, uh, the French woman at 33. I, it, it's hard to ignore where Rose is mentally before any fight. How much does that factor in to what you think you might see out of Rose in her flyweight debut? Yeah, she's just untrustworthy. I mean, even though she comes from a fantastic camp, and we, we love backing Trevor Whitman fighters. Mm -hmm. and, and look, she's a cerebral fighter, uh, you know, and obviously being a former champion, two-time champion, as you alluded to. But, like, how is the extra weight going to help her? I mean, she was always a smaller fighter anyway, so now she's going up in weight. And, you know, quite frankly, she's going into a kickboxing match uh, against probably the best kickboxer we have in women's mixed martial arts in, in Fiore. I would have loved to see Fiore against a wrestler because we haven't seen it yet. And, you know, Rose is good on the ground, but she's not going to look for takedowns. She's going to look for to utilize her quickness, uh, her speed uh, and volume strike. I, I just worry about that. I just worry about that. Again, also a fight going into the home country. Uh, you know, I worry about the scoring for Fiore if you're a Rose backer. And I, I think this fight goes to the judges' scorecards and we get a, a three-round kind of kickboxing match. So uh, I'm hesitant to back Rose. I really am. I'd love to see what she looks like on the weigh-ins, what she looks like with that extra 15 pounds. That'll be the determining factor. I know my buddy Gamalou always likes to wait till the weigh-ins. I do as well. But it's just stylistically a matchup I don't like Rose for, especially making a debut against someone that's looked as great as Fjord has. Now, when you look at the, the Fjord prop uh, via decision, plus a dollar 25, because it is juiced heavily to the over uh, two to one here to go over two and a half rounds, would you look at that way? Or do you think uh, Fjord really might have some finishing potential in this one? I, I, I mean, I always think she's got finishing potential. It's just the finishing the potential against her opponent. I mean, look, we know how high caliber of a fighter Rose is and the only time that she's ever been knocked out was via a slam by you know Jessica Andrade so um and she's been in there with some heavy hitters like you know Zhang Lei Li uh so and Joanna Jacek so I I don't worry about that I think the smart money yeah would be on Fjord via decision just thinking again kickboxing match both fighters fighting at distance and Fjord just doesn't have the power uh, to, to knock out Rose. Uh, very quickly, I want to talk a little bit about Reese McKee here. Uh, Skeletor is going to be back in there as a dog in this fight. What do you make of the, uh, the the fighter from Northern Ireland in Paris? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a risky fight against Lusa. You know, we, we, we know what he does. You know, he's got power. 
Uh, he could utilize some wrestling. And Reese McKee kind of washed out of the UFC rather quickly. But but who's going to be successful making your debut against Hamza Shemaev on the back end of his back-to-back <laughs> week fights? I, I was I was excited about Reese McKee's debut. Uh, he did very well in Cage Warriors leading to that UFC debut. He lost two in a row. Also against Alex Morano. We know how talented that fighter is. He, he, he redefined himself. Uh, won the title, defended the title at Cage Warriors, which is a respectable regional promotion. So I, I like Reese McKee coming in as the underdog. He, you know, probably a, a little bit of a risky, wouldn't be one of my like go-to favorite picks. But I think a, a three-round fight, standing, he could avoid the damage, maybe out, you know, look to outpoint Lusa on the feet. Avoid the, the fight from going to the ground. So I think Reese McKee certainly is a live dog. Yeah, sometimes when you come back at another opportunity that and what you maybe take it a little bit differently than you did the first time around. I'm picking up what you're putting down there. Very quickly, about 30 seconds, the unnamed MMA pod. Still without a name, but a lot of great guests. Tell the people what they get when they tune in. Yeah, we're going to, it's available on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever podcasts are found. And uh, we're going to break down UFC uh, Paris a little bit later on. And oh, by the way, Football Fest on Sunday. We had it at ESPN Chicago. Someone came up to me and said, hey, I love your stuff on First Strike. I love you on it. Boom. Let's go, First Strike, out there in Chicago. Jordan, appreciate you as always, my friend. Good to have you back. When we come back, we're going up to Dan Reeland in Boston. That's next here, First Strike on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pot? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Start your morning with VEASAN Daily Morning Bets. Josh Applebaum gives you every piece of info you need to be ready for betting the day's biggest games in just 15 minutes. He discusses line movement, injuries, and what you need to be looking at before you make said bets. Make the VEASAN Daily Morning Podcast part of your morning routine. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you're listening to podcasts, you're probably listening to Dan Vreeland's podcast. He is the host of Top Turtle MMA and SGPN MMA. You can follow him on Twitter as I do, at... Gumby Vreeland and uh, Dan, your ears must have been burning because Lou Finicaro said at the beginning of this very program, this 
is a Gumby Vreeland card when we get <laughs> over to France. And I apologize to all the Frenchmen and women if we butcher some of these names. But, Dan, there's got to be a lot of fighters that a lot of people don't know that you do and certainly can help educate here. Are there any here that you look at and go, this French man or woman that you might not have seen before, you're really going to be excited about? So there's two particularly, one's actually not French, but is making their debut. Bogdan Guskov mm. is a fighter who I have you know, didn't actually have very much on before I saw him announced for this fight. And now that I've seen it, I don't know how it's going to play necessarily against Volkan Ozdemir because, look, he's a crazy power puncher. He absolutely turns people's lights off. But, you know, so is Volkan Ozdemir when he first came to the UFC and got his, you know, his sort of his chance against some high-level competition right out of the gate. He got a title shot in just a year's time by getting high-level opponent to start right away. Guskov kind of gets that chance here. And with that power-punching ability and knowing that, you know, hey, Volkan Ozdemir sometimes gets hit, plus 154 doesn't sound terrible. Um, and then another name, an actual French name that I'm excited for is Nora Cornole. She's fighting Jocelyn Edwards. That fight is coming in right around even money. Cornole is a very high-level uh, Thai-style kickboxer. She fought, you know, uh, kickboxing for a really long time. She made that switch to MMA, and she's got low-key, really great ground game despite the background. Um, I saw her finish a fight one time with a crucifix and mm. some elbows to the head, which is really awesome. And so seeing her against Jocelyn Edwards, somebody who's kind of, like, had some trouble when she she herself can't take people to the ground. I think it's going to be a good fight for Cornell. So those are the two newcomers I'm the most excited for. Yeah, Cornell right now, minus a dollar eight, basically a pick, almost a pick him there against Edwards. Let me get back very quickly uh, to that fight with Guskov against uh, no time Oatsdemir here. When you look at Vulcan, I don't want to say this is the last shot, but you almost feel like if you're Vulcan Oatsdemir, you're like, oh, you're going to give me the kick? Because like you said, that used to be my role. I was the kid, you know, fast-tracked all the way to a title shot against Daniel Cormier. It feels like a thousand years ago here. Do, do you worry that Utsdemir now maybe 33, taking some shots, that as a big favorite, minus $1. eighty-five. I know you're leaning towards a dog here. If you're Vulcan, do you go, all right, I see what the UFC is doing. They're saying, if I can't beat these up-and-comers, maybe it's uh, my time is up for a guy that's nicknamed No Time. Yeah, so I, I, first of all, it's worth noting that they did want to give him Azamat Mirzakhanov first, who's a ranked guy. So they weren't necessarily feeding him to the Wolves or feeding him to a brand newcomer until he needed an opponent. But my big problem right now with Ozdemir is he's not really beating anybody in any impressive way that makes me want to bet him, right? Like mm. his last three wins were, you know, a bit, win over Ilya Latifi, which didn't age well. That dude's up at heavyweight now. A split decision win over Alexander Rachich, which I didn't think he won. And then that very boring fight with Paul Craig, where he he just basically didn't engage Paul Craig in any kind of, uh, you know, grappling or striking really for that matter at all. And sandwiched in between all of those three, you got three losses. Now, granted, only one of them is a knockout and it's Yuri Prohashka, which, you know, ages very well at the end of the day. So I'm not sure I'm worried about his chin, but I am worried that he's not going to beat somebody who strikes as well as Guskov does, which is, again, why I'm so tempted by that big line on Guskov. But the number I'm the most tempted about in this fight is definitely the under. Because, mm. you know, he he has put people away, right? He put Eli Latifi away. He He's, you know, they call him no time for a reason. He was getting <laughs> people out quick way back when. And Guskov is a guy who, you know, kind of like Korean Zombie did this past weekend. He throws caution to the wind. I think we're going to see a fight that ends quickly. All right, so that under right now for a round and a half is minus an hour 32. So it might be no time for one of these two fighters in Paris on Saturday. Let's get to a Farid Basharat here. Big favorite, over a $3 betting favorite against Clayton Rodriguez. Are you surprised that it's over $3 right now, three twenty-five for Basharat, or do you think that's appropriately lined? I think I'm a little surprised, but at the end of the day, I think he's getting the brother bump. Uh, we saw it a little bit with the Bonfim brothers, mm -hmm. right? The lesser of the two Bonfim brothers got bumped way up when he fought Benoit Saint-Denis. And it really, that line shouldn't have been where it was. It was pretty obvious that it shouldn't be where it was. Fareed Basharat, the lesser of the two Basharat <laughs> brothers, in my opinion. I like Javid a lot better. But at the same time, I really do think Farid is going to win this fight. Uh, I don't like the number where it is, you know, jacked all the way up to over negative 300 now. It opened way lower than that. But at the end of the day, I think he's got the grappling to put Clayton Rodriguez on his back. He does have good positional jujitsu, even if maybe not the finishing ability that his brother does. So I think he's probably going to be able to hold him for the better part of three rounds here and probably either win a decision or just wear out Clayton. All right, so look for that over two and a half right there. Uh, I'm picking up what you're putting down in that one. Let's get to the main card uh, a little bit. And obviously, I want to start off with the uh, co-main event of the evening. That's Menon Firo against Rose Namajunas. And again, Rose, Thug Rose, we haven't seen her in a bit. 
making her debut now at flyweight. How do you judge that, Dan? When you see a fighter, because uh, it was a great point that Jordan Sherwood made earlier. When you think of Thug Rose, she was almost slight at 115. And now she's going up against a much bigger woman in Manon Firo. Uh, should she be this big a dog right now, plus $1.54? I think so, because for me, I, I worry about two things here. You know, you mentioned her coming up weight. She wasn't a very physical fighter in the first place, right? Um, you know, you, you look at the time she was in the clinch with Jessica Andrade. She just picked her up, slammed her right down, and mm -hmm. that was ultimately her demise. So you have to worry about the physicality. And Manolfi Rowe is very physically strong. She's jacked. Um, and she low-key has pretty good wrestling, too. I think people sleep on how good her wrestling has been. Um, she hasn't showed it much in the UFC, but she showed it on the regional scene. So I, I like Manon Firo in the clinch there. And then the other thing I worry about Rose Namajunas here is most of the fights she wins, she wins striking from distance. That's how she knocked out Weili Zhang. That's how she beat Yoani Jacek both times. That's where Manon Firo's best. So you're telling me I'm going to get the bigger woman. I'm going to get the one who likes to strike from distance. And... Rose Namunis is either going to give her what she wants or go to where she's worse. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Ro uh, Rose Namajunas quite a bit, but I really do think uh, Manol Firo is a terrible matchup for her. Yeah, I've been looking at this all week, trying to figure out a pathway for Thug Rose and certainly one of the more popular fighters and champions we had at 115, but I'm with you. It's hard to get there right now. Look at the KO prop for Rose Namajunas, right? KO, TKR, DQ. And this is the way Rose, when she's at her best, 14 to 1, Dan. So it's telling us here that if she does get a win, it's maybe by decision, plus 250. But really, I'm with you. The Firo side feels like right now the right side, and maybe that number does go up uh, before we get to Saturday. The main event, we're going to have another French person here. We got a French woman in the co-main event. We're going to have French men in the main event here with Cyril Gahn. Now, Sergei Spivak, we know, wants to wrestle. We would think that would be the pathway to victory. Can he catch Cyril Gahn in order to get him down to the ground? Or do you think Cyril can use that athleticism, that mobility he has, to frustrate uh, the polar bear here in Spivak? I think he's going to frustrate him a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think Spivak's going to get enough takedowns here. Um, because, look, a surreal gain amazing striking from distance right but he's openly admitted that he does not like training wrestling and he tries to do it as little as possible plus are, are we forgetting that that francis and ganu took him down 80 percent of the time in their fight because i remember that and i remember thinking oh my god this guy just got taken down by francis and ganu again and now he's going to be fighting sergey spivak a guy who took down and submitted Derek lewis uh and he took him down 75 percent of the time in the fight and as a matter of fact He's gotten 75% of his takedowns in each of his last three fights. Now, granted, that's not against the same kind of strikers as Surreal Gain, but at the same time, he's great once he gets people down. He holds people down. So I think the fact that he submitted, you know, somebody, he submitted somebody like Derek Lewis. He submitted somebody like Tai Tuivasa, two guys who, while we don't think of them as grapplers, are tough to submit. I do think he's going to have a huge jujitsu and a huge wrestling advantage over Surreal Gain here. I think he's going to get him down enough times. I think the question, if you like Surreal Gain, is just can he catch Sergei Spivak on the way in? Um, so I might lean to, if you're liking Surreal uh, Gain in here, looking for a KO prop. But I'm going to lean on to the side of the, just the money line on the underdog here. Plus $1.25 right now for Cyril, uh, KRTK or DQ, if you think you can get it done that way. To the point, Dan, about finishing potential, look at the under two and a half rounds, juiced heavily to it at minus $1.62. You know, I, th I think Cyril is a guy that can show mobility. We've seen him go the distance before in five-round fights on his ascent and rise in the heavyweight division. Do you think this is a quick night in Paris or maybe a little bit longer than people expect? I think this is going to be a little bit longer than people expect, especially if it does favor Spivak, because Spivak is a guy who, um, you know, likes to take people into deep waters. His wrestling's pretty good, but Gain has had good defense. I think the over is definitely in play there, uh, especially if you like the Spivak side, but also it might just be in Gain's best uh, interest to just try to wear him out, to try to stay on the outside, um, because I do think he'll have the better cardio and athleticism in the later rounds. I got about 30 seconds to go. It's been a couple weeks since uh, UFC left Boston. Has this city recovered, Dan, from the, the shock <laughs> and awe of that night? So Boston has recovered as good as it possibly can. Uh, and especially after, you know, something like Sean O'Malley shocking the world, or at least shocking me. He maybe didn't shock everybody, but he shocked me uh, with that. So, yeah, no, it, it, it recovered as good as it possibly can. Uh, and maybe that was just having only one Irishman in the car to do that. Yeah, a, a big Irish crowd there contingency in Boston, certainly for that night as we saw the title change hand. Dan, we appreciate you as always, my friend. Enjoy the fights over there in Paris. When we come back, going to Washington, D.C., Riku next here on First Strike.
Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big pop. They ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We roll on this edition of First Strike from Las Vegas going out to the nation's capital. Catch up with our guy, Reed Kuhn. You can follow him on Twitter as I do, at Fightnomics. He is the author of a book of the same name. And, Reed, I think what people know, certainly I hope they've picked up your book. We're still waiting on the sequel, by the way. When they read your book, I mean, it's, it's data-driven. You are looking, uh, before you wager on these fights, to find the proper data that's going to lead you to a profitable situation more often than not by following those numbers. When you have a fight card like this one, just in generality, you're going to have a lot of new fighters. If your data, if you don't see enough on them, do they become automatic passes for you? Yeah, actually, if they don't even meet their criteria of running through a model, then I ignore them completely. So I'm looking through a fight card and I'm looking at both sides and I'm saying, all right, how many prior UFC appearances does each person have? And they got to have three or more. And even then, you know, Cyril Gunn, when he first came in, he might have three fights, but only lasted a few minutes each. Um, I'll still run that model. I usually see skewed results and things regress to the mean as time goes on. You want to collect as much data as possible. But yeah, as a three fight minimum, even then, I'm sometimes constrained on a fight like this, where I think they're taking a much more regional bias. They're trying to put every Frenchman on the card that they can, and they may not have a lot of tenure. So that means a lot of passes this week. Yeah, you know, and that's funny. Something I talked about a little bit earlier in the program too, Reed. And obviously, the numbers you can't—they can't really dictate and measure the crowd and the effect they might have on judges. But we've seen this, right? We've seen this obviously in Brazil, and you can get them in different places, even in the United States. But when you have a card like this, as you mentioned, that's heavy with the French on this. Does that maybe skew, it's not going to skew the models, but your opinion, if you think a fight's going to go to the card, that maybe you want to take note of that if you're backing a French woman or man in this in this instance? I'm aware of it. It's in the back of my head for sure. Um, you, a long time ago, I looked at expected wins versus actual wins, and really the home, came advantage, home, home cage advantage only took effect in Brazil. Hmm. Anywhere else, it was either negligible or maybe even a disadvantage, uh, like in Japan, actually, uh, where it was a very quiet crowd. So uh, the same expectations in football, soccer, where the crowd noise can influence referee decisions, I think it's more impactful there, where a single you know, yellow card in a soccer match might decide a fight, uh, excuse me, not a fight, but <laughs> a game, um, you know, getting a penalty kick that can actually change the outcome of a game big time. But in fighting, 
Maybe, maybe not. Uh, if you have a fighter who's boring and top control and the crowd is really letting them have it, that's a situation where you might see a stand-up that otherwise might have gone on. Um, so it's going to be very subtle. It's going to be in the cracks. Uh, but no, I, it's hard to take advantage of that with data because that's not something we're factoring in. But it is something I'm going to be aware of as I watch the fight. If I'm thinking, hmm, I was relying on this guy with steady top control uh, and he's getting stood up, that might work against me. That doesn't happen to be the narrative on this particular card. As it turns out, I tend to be favoring strikers, which is unusual for me. Yeah, it's fascinating because it's exactly where I wanted to go because I'm looking at the main event here with Cyril Gaon and you think of Cyril Gaon as more the striker, Sergey Spivak certainly as the wrestler. And normally the data points are going to lead you towards that wrestler. But in the main event, do they look different to you this time? Well, this is definitely a stylistic contrast. I mean, I think everybody knows what we're getting in this matchup. We're getting a striker versus a grappler. Spivak has been most successful when he's on the ground. And when he can nullify a good striker and get the fight down or up, you know, up in the clinch on the fence and then get it down, that's been his bread and butter. He's finished people on the ground uh, either way. Gone, obviously, an elite striker. And when I look at the numbers, it is glaring. I mean, Gone really is a very good technical striker and much better than Spivak. Spivak has never even scored a knockdown as a heavyweight, uh, despite 80 minutes of cage time. He also has, you know, okay accuracy, okay pace, but not nearly as good as Gone. And Gone also doesn't get hit very often. Defense is sometimes a very good sign of someone who's good technically. Uh, you might have offensive metrics, but you're also a brawler and you're sloppy. That is not Gone. So I, I definitely like him striking here. It's the takedown defense I am worried about, but you have to think he's been working on that for a long time. He's been focused on that. He got exposed in the John Jones fight. Then again, John Jones, elite. Uh, <laughs> Spivak, maybe not. So I am leaning the striker here. I think over five rounds, uh, Gon's tools eventually is going to find a home here. I don't see this going the distance. In terms of a fluky finish, if Spivak does get it down and expose Gane on the ground, then it might be a finish uh, for Spivak. But one way or the other, I don't see this going to the cards. I just think it's going to be the striker. Yeah, it's interesting because in Gon's two losses, as you mentioned, in Ganu and John Jones, so we're talking about Two of the best uh, fighters, certainly the heavyweight division for Ngannou and certainly light heavyweight for John before moving up to heavyweight. So no real crime in that. But he did go the distance against Ngannou. You mentioned this one here that you don't think this one will go the distance. Right now at two and a half is where it's set. You can get plus money if you think you can get over two and a half at plus $1.32. Is that kind of, do the numbers show one way or the, the other if it's going to be a quick finish or do you think it could go longer into the night in Paris? Well, with heavyweights uh, at this level, good heavyweights anyway, dangerous heavyweights, uh, you don't normally expect it to go three rounds or more, and it's pretty rare to see a five-rounder. Um, I, I, I got to look back way yeah. long ago. I do remember a five-round heavyweight title fight once, and it was like the first time that ever happened in history. Uh, so it's pretty rare, for sure. There's a lot of finishing ingredients here. Again, you know I don't like to get too cute on the totals, mm -hmm. two and a half. Um, does seem like a stretch. I mean, I think if Gan is going to find his opportunity, it's going to be early in the rounds, whether it's early in round two or early in round three. If Spivak is going to finish this, he has to keep this on the mat and he might have to go for broke to get it there. I'm just unsure of what kind of tank Spivak is going to have chasing someone around the cage, trying to drag down a much bigger man. I mean, Ghana is going to outweigh him, I believe, at least with muscle anyway. Uh, he's also a bigger frame. So I think that's an uphill battle for Spivak. And right now, again, and, and Reed, I'm picking up what your numbers are putting down. Plus $1.25 for Ghana in the KOTKRDQ prop if this one does not uh, hit those cards. Okay, let's get to the co-main event here. And again, Rose Namajunas going to make her debut in the flyweight division, former two-time champion in the strawweight division. Again, she wasn't known as a big, physically imposing woman at 115. Now she's going up to 125 against Manon Firo. And we know what Firo is going to look like. She's going to look like the much bigger woman inside that octagon come Saturday. What do the numbers show you? And again, I ask you this all the time because it's fascinating with the data. When you see a fighter going to a new division, are the numbers leading you anywhere here? What's interesting, I was looking for Rose uh, to be more impressive on the mat at least statistically, and that's not what I'm seeing, actually. Now, I don't presume to think that Fioro is going to try to take her down and wrestle her, um, but I am impressed with her takedown defense and her ground control. Fioro is clearly a striker first. Uh, that's where she is most impressive, and I was worried about the ground game, and it actually shows up kind of solid here. So that might back up the fact that the models are, if anything, agreeing with the price, and then you factor in the weight class change, and maybe in my head I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to round up 
on Fioro here, uh, but it is close. And that's why that makes me nervous. I've been backing both these girls for a while and now they're facing off. That's always puts me in a tough spot, at least <laughs> my, my emotion, but based purely on the data, this is a close matchup. Fioro, it's, it's that technical striking again. She has a really good defense. She doesn't get hit very much and she's able to push a pace and land strikes. And that piles up, that scores points. And if anything, the hole in Nama Yunus's game has been the aggression. It hasn't always been there. That last fight was obviously mm-hmm. kind of a stinker. So um, she has to change something in a bigger weight class against a bigger aggressive fighter all at the same time in an away cage for this to work for her. And that's a lot to ask. And even then the numbers are kind of a wash. Yeah. The Carlos Sparza fight, as you're alluding to, not exactly the last pretty picture you want to see at 115 as she now makes her debut at 125. It's interesting because I, I know exactly what you were talking about earlier about normally the model is going to go to the wrestler that would go to Tiago Moises against uh, Benoit St. Denis. But again, the striker here in St. Denis, small favorites going up a little bit here. Dollar 55 are the numbers leading you towards the, the Benoit side here. They are. Um, it actually has a lot of advantages all the way down. Now, admittedly, much smaller sample size uh, versus Moises. Uh, Moises is a guy who I thought was underrated early on. He was outperforming. And, you know, even in a even in a matchup against Makashev, where he was a overwhelming underdog, he actually looked pretty good in the first round. So Moises is not to be underestimated. That said, there's simply too many statistical advantages on the side of St. Denis that I have to go that way. He is going to be much bigger, and that's one factor. He is clearly the crisper striker, and his ground stats actually look pretty good. No one's really taken advantage of him much on the ground. He's fairly aggressive with those takedowns, and Moises, surprisingly, not as impressive statistically. So there's a lot going on on this page that surprised me. I hadn't really you know, heard of Benoit Saint-Denis until he just hit the three-fight minimum for me recently. Mm-hmm. And so here I find him, I find myself betting on him, uh, despite the fact that he's taking on a veteran. So again, this is a, a card full of surprises for me. And now, if you follow Reed on Twitter at Fightnomics, you would know by now that before a big fight card, you normally have an appropriate dinner that would go with it. For this card at UFC Paris, do you have some French cuisine that's going to be uh, in the recipe here? I don't know. That's a great. It's a great idea. It's also Labor Day, man. I, I got to be firing up the grill and yeah. doing some burgers. Um, and that's at way least too on the American. The fight, well, the fights will be done by the time it's dinner time, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's, a, it's a long weekend. i got to do something nice. I can't wait to see. It always makes me hungry, that's for sure. Reed, appreciate you as always, my friend. Enjoy the early fights over there in Paris. We'll catch up again next week. All right, everybody, you know the drill by now. Cash those tickets. you got to listen to First Strike each and every week. We try to get you the best of the number before the fights. Enjoy UFC Paris. We'll see you next Tuesday here on VEASAN. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cam Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.